Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new podcast from the TWI Innovation Network. Now, with the rise in wholesale gas prices making national headlines of late, our latest episode is returning to the theme of net zero with a conversation Abbas Mahimi had with Keith Owen from the Northern Gas Network over Zoom at the beginning of this year. Together, they are discussing the future of natural gas networks in the UK and the possible moves to meet low carbon targets set by government for industry ahead of COP26. You'll be able to find uh, links to all of the things that have been discussed in this podcast in the description below this episode. And we really hope you enjoy it. As ever, please make sure to give us any feedback you have. And we look forward to uh, reading what you have to say. All that is to come. And now I hand over to Abbas. Hello, everyone. I am Abbas Mohimi and welcome to TWI Innovation Network podcast. By far, one of the biggest challenges industry faces is climate change. TWI is currently engaged in many interesting projects with our members and partners to develop solutions for electrification, small modular reactors, digital asset management, renewables, and many other areas to help accelerate development of clean technologies. In this series, we are discussing net zero. And on today's episode, we are joined by our guest, Keith Owen from Northern Gas Network to talk about how low carbon heating of buildings. Keith is Head of Systems Development and Energy Strategy at Northern Gas Network. Northern Gas Network started operating in 2005 as one of UK's gas distribution networks. Northern Gas Network delivers gas to over 2.7 million homes and businesses across the North East, Northern Cumbria and much of Yorkshire. Keith has led and, and, uh, and supports a variety of energy research programs, such as the NGN H21 program and the Cadet uh, NGN um, um, high, high, this is an acronym, uh, as a high deploy, high deploy project. Is that right, Keith? That's correct, yes. Thank you, <laughs> welcome to the show, by the way. Um, Keith has also um, led the development of NGN uh, integral facility and uh, many other collaborations with industry and academia and leads the um, engagement with uh, wider academia stakeholders to create a whole energy system research and development center which aims to accelerate pathways to net zero. Keith is also chair of the Institute of Gas Engineers and Managers uh, for the Hydrogen Committee seeking to um, revise all UK gas industry standards to support the transition to 100% hydrogen. So Keith, welcome to the show uh, again. Um, and uh, I'm very glad that you're able to join us to talk about low carbon <coughs> heating of buildings. Um, perhaps um, you can start by explaining to us what Northern Gas Network does. Essentially, you guys are keeping the heat on, but uh, uh, many of the listeners may not be uh, aware uh, of what goes behind the scenes. So um, over to you, Keith. Yes, thank you. Good morning. Um, yeah, no Northern Gas Networks is one of four gas distribution businesses that uh, exist in the UK. Uh, ourselves, Northern Gas Networks, we have Scotia Gas Networks uh, covering Scotland and the south of the country. 
uh, Wales and the West Utilities, which are over on the west side of the UK. Uh, and then we've got Kid and Gas, who uh, are, are in the middle, uh, in the Midlands. Uh, so Northern Gas Networks, uh, as, you've, as you've mentioned, we, we've, you know, from the Scottish borders all the way down to the Humber and across into Yorkshire. Uh, and, uh, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year, we're providing natural gas to homes, businesses and, and big industry for their heat demand predominantly. Uh, and, and we do that uh, in a really low cost and, and very, very resilient manner. And we've just seen, I guess, uh, the, the sort of winters that, um, you know, are great to look at, but they're quite chilly to be in uh, when the snow on the ground and so forth, where the gas system continues to deliver the heat, uh, irrespective of, of how bad that weather can get. And that's a really important uh, position to be in. Uh, uh, for, for an industry like ours, that resilience is so important. Uh, and we've seen, uh, I suppose, across in America, how bad things can get uh, where that resilience starts to be threatened by, by what, the, uh, what the weather can throw at it. So, yeah, we're an important uh, fundamental business, I suppose, in the UK, uh, along with our other distribution colleagues. Uh, we get gas from the national grid, uh, which is the, the primary gas system running from top of Scotland all the way down to Cornwall uh, and so on. Uh, and, and we work very closely in collaboration with these other gas businesses to make sure that the UK has an outstanding service, an outstanding gas delivery system, uh, as I say, for 365 days of the year, non-stop. Thank you, uh, Keith. I think, uh, um, yeah, that, absolutely. You mentioned in terms of uh, uh, what you guys do is absolutely fundamental, but what challenges do you guys face at the moment in terms of keeping the heat on? Um, sure. Uh, I, 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 the biggest challenge that we face, I suppose, uh, and we're not alone in that. This is a this is a common uh, a common challenge uh, both in the UK and, and globally is that of climate change, um, and, and really trying to understand how we can continue to deliver, you know, excellent service to customers. Uh, at, at low cost and, and really deliver that heat, but do so in a low carbon manner. Uh, that, that's, that is a fundamental shift away from the sort of uh, uh, system we have at the moment. Uh, so as I say, at the moment, we're moving natural gas around uh, uh, right across the UK as, as an industry and delivering that into homes in a, in a safe and reliable manner. In order to deliver that same amount of heat, we need to find something to replace the natural gas because that's the major cause of carbon emissions uh, and the scale of the challenges is is quite extraordinary uh, you know the gas industry is delivering you know uh, anywhere up to five times the amount of energy every single day that our colleagues in the electricity grid deliver right now uh, and, and that's that fundamentally changes uh, the, the challenge that you're facing uh, because this is a major amount of energy being produced. To give a sense of that, um, you know, uh, on an annual basis, our network might push around about 50% more energy uh, just in our little network, uh, you know, Scottish borders down to uh, down to the Humber, than the entire electricity uh, system of the UK. So that gives you a sense of the differences in in what we're doing here. And that's not, a, you know, that's not a gas versus electricity thing at all. Far be far from it. It's really just a, a statement of how different the systems are in what they're currently being asked to do. 
And that's really important as we try to engineer low carbon solutions, try to find ways of providing customers with what they want, which is you know clean, affordable heat, uh, low impact in their properties, and do, and do so in, a, in, a, in an efficient manner. So those that 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 speaks to the challenge, I suppose, and that's not too dissimilar to the challenges of decarbonising electricity or decarbon decarbonising transport. Uh, but the complexities are seen, certainly by industry, by government, as uh, an order of magnitude higher uh, than than those other those other decarbonisation challenges that we face. Uh, and we've got to get moving on it. We've really got to start making a difference because there's only Net zero challenge the government have set uh, is 2050. Uh, that that feels like tomorrow from an, an infrastructure delivery uh, uh, program. Uh, we, we've really got to start moving on this now, uh, and it's great to see some of the projects that we're we're delivering to to enable that. Thank you, Kate. Uh, in terms of uh, this the scale of the challenge and the timescales. Uh, because you mentioned obviously climate change and what you you guys are trying to do, um, can you can you elaborate on that in terms of? Uh... Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, so so again, going back to that scale, uh, if we look purely from the domestic perspective, then there's there's roughly about eighty four percent of homes in the UK are heated using natural gas, so a gas boiler of some some description um, and then you've got obviously cookers and, and fires as well so so that's that's an incredible amount of market penetration there uh, uh, and, and a, I guess a testament to what customers want uh, they, they see an opportunity in, in, in gas and they've, they've really latched onto that over the, the, the last few decades so so in moving to a net zero position how do we what does that translate into? to uh, uh, convert 84% of those homes from using natural gas to something else, whatever that might be. And the options, I suppose, are that we could uh, uh, convert them using a different low carbon gas or some sort of electrical heat, uh, for instance. Uh, but the challenge still doesn't change really, because the challenge is uh, when you look at the number of homes, and there are millions and millions of homes using uh, natural gas at the moment, in the broadest sense, that looks to be around about 20,000 homes every single week require conversion to a different heating solution. And that's 20,000 homes every week for 20 years from 2030 onwards. That's a very, very significant undertaking. It's a major infrastructure challenge. Be, them, be, be that a, a, a low carbon gas solution, be that electrical solution, the challenge of changing those homes out does not change. Uh, that is still there. That's what we face, and that's what's required for us to uh, to move away from a, a natural gas solution to to deliver that net zero. So, you know, we could look at that and think that's quite daunting. Uh, I take a, a very different perspective. I look at that and think what an incredible opportunity this is for the UK to develop new jobs, new skills, and uh, uh, new products, uh, and, and to drive out cost and produce an even more resilient and better system than we've got now. How have you found that uh, in terms of uh, the recent pandemic and, and the fact that uh, more people are at home, if you like, uh, I presume your, uh, uh, it, how you're supplying and how much you're supplying to the homes has, has changed, I guess, in terms of the, the distribution between 
um, the the sort of uh, residential and 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 the industry, if you like. Um, and and yeah, what impact and observations have you guys made uh, in Northern Gas Network in terms of customer demand and and expectations? Well, certainly right at the moment, the the the, the pandemic, the, the fact that we remain in, in a lockdown situation and, uh, and many people uh, uh, able to, who are able to work at home uh, doing so, uh, 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 or, or those that aren't able to furloughed, that means there's a lot more people in the house, in their homes um, throughout the day that would ordinarily be, be a, a, at work. So, so we have seen a, a, a nudge, I suppose, in the the amount of uh, heat being required, uh, particularly over the last few weeks, where it's been um, uh, a little a little more chilly than uh, than we'd prefer. Uh, but but that's fine. That's the, you know this our system is designed to to respond to that uh, and and can quite comfortably manage that level of of heat demand without uh, without uh, breaking a sweat. Frankly, um, it's it's what the it's what the system is good at delivering. It actually much much prefers. The bigger demands to uh, to to the light, lighter touches of summer, <laughs> so 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 certainly when when it gets colder, it's just not a problem. Uh, our, our systems really uh, are really very resilient, uh, well engineered energy delivery network, uh, and it and that's it, it, to kind of phrase, I guess it, it does exactly what it says on the tin, um, and it does that every single day, nonstop. Uh, but of course, uh, the 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 uh, the move to net zero will start to uh, require different engineering solutions in order to maintain that same level of, res of resilience. Uh, now that that's an interesting conversation to go into, I suppose, perhaps not for this podcast, but, but it's a really important one of resilience when we look at the very different resilience models or, or network availability models that both gas and electricity systems have. So if you move to a, you know, comprehensive electricity uh, heat solution and maybe have your EV, then there is the potential then uh, when there are times of uh, uh, stress on the electricity grid through severe weather conditions and so forth, where not only does your heat go off, but you can't charge your car. Now, that still affects the heat side for gas boilers because we need electricity to run pumps and so forth, but it doesn't prevent gas fires. From, you know, gas fires work quite uh, uh, quite well, with, irrespective of the electricity supply. So it's it's understanding what might be the impacts as we go to a decarbonized solution on that provision of heat, because heat's very different in in one particular way, I suppose, to electricity, and that. Um, in the winter months, in the coldest parts of the year, the lack of heat can cause some very significant risks and, and health challenges for vulnerable people, be them be they elderly uh, or having other types of vulnerabilities. So ma maintaining that heat has some real world consequences on people's health, uh, uh, which is perhaps a little bit different. So, so there's quite a lot of sensitivity and make sure that whatever the solutions are, uh, they are really resilient provide great op great uh, uh, solutions they provide what customers really want uh, from from their heat system which uh, I guess if they're anything like me of course they may not be I want the heat system just to work and I forget about it you know I don't want to have to think about uh, the level of comfort in the house just needed to be there um, and that's that's important as we progress this uh, to make sure that 
the vulnerable are protected, uh, we maintain resilience, we maintain low cost and, and drive the best possible outcomes from this energy transition. So Keith, uh, as um, we we drive the decarbonisation and then net zero plans, what, what are the different um, heat heating options that, that are currently being uh, considered? Sure. Uh, so so there, there is a degree of uh, uh, decarbonisation already happening uh, within the gas industry, and that's in the form of biomethane. So there are uh, you know, quite a number of uh, biomethane production facilities where they're using a, a process called anaerobic digestion to uh, 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 recycle, I suppose, uh, waste products uh, and uh, produce methane from those waste products to put back into the gas grid. So these are this is carbon that already exists in our economy, as it were, that is simply being recycled uh, and, and, and reused again. So we've got that happening now, uh, and that's a great uh, a great first step. Uh, we you touched on um, high deploy. Uh, high deploy is a, a a project which is looking to blend hydrogen into the gas grid. Now hydrogen is important that uh, when you burn hydrogen, there is no carbon emissions at all. Uh, it's you know uh, it's it's the smallest element in the periodic table. It's element number one, I think, if I remember my chemistry lessons. Uh, so it's just it's just hydrogen on its own. It's where all the energy is. Uh, and by mixing that into the existing gas grid, and Hydroploy is aiming for 20% uh, by volume mix into the gas grid, that could reduce the carbon footprint of, our, of the overall uh, product by around about 6% which doesn't sound a great deal, but actually that's the equivalent of taking you know, millions of vehicles off the road. So it's uh, from a national perspective. So it's, it's a really significant first major step, I suppose, to introduce hydrogen into the system. So that's that blended solution, which is happening now. And you know, it's great that high deploys uh, 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 running from our uh, integral site, which you mentioned this whole energy system space that we, we're creating. Uh, and, and we look forward to uh, Caden then taking the, the follow-on phase of high deploy from uh, from our site and, and driving this to be more of a business as usual. We'd like to see, we'd like to think at least that that blending uh, of hydrogen into the gas grid it becomes much more of a, uh, a normal operation, really from about 2023 onwards, once we've we've um, uh, secured all of the all of the science and all of the safety case elements. Uh, surround that and of course the, the important bit which is the economics the commercial uh, solutions to make this a, an attractive uh, uh, business proposal for, for third parties so so you've got that blended solution which starts you on that pathway to decarbonized heat from a gas perspective uh, h21 uh, which you've referred to that's looking at how we might repurpose our existing gas grid to 100 percent hydrogen so we move away from natural gas altogether uh, in, the, in the pipeline network and simply provide hydrogen as the fuel source. What that would do is comp comprehensively remove the carbon emissions uh, from heat from across the UK. So really important that that, that project uh, uh, continues. We're in phase one of that at the moment. We're just about to produce phase one reports uh, on, the, on the final outcomes and phase two is, is building up now. So it's uh, uh, you know great to see that project flying, uh, really starting to deliver uh, the sort of answers that we need in order to carry out that technical conversion of our network. 
So, so those, those two solutions, I suppose, well, three if we can biomethane, blended gas, and then uh, uh, hydrogen. And then if it's if you're looking at the electricity side, then you have the opportunity to put in something called heat pump, which is uh, 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 like a large fridge, but in reverse, um, uh, which you know has a, a unit that sits on the outside of the house as well as some internal uh, components as well. And what that's doing is is using electricity to harvest heat from the atmosphere and 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 uh, push that back into your home. So a little bit, as I say, like a fridge in reverse. Um, and then bringing those two things together, I suppose, in terms of uh, say a hydrogen boiler or a heat pump, you have the, a combination of the two, which is called a hybrid uh, system. And what that's doing is it recognizes that um, for, for quite a lot of properties, all the properties in the UK, a heat pump might be quite challenging uh, in, ter in terms of the, the, the heat demand that those buildings require. So what you do is you combine the heat pump with the, if you like that brute force, that high heat intensity that a traditional boiler can give you, and which, you know, which is why they, they work so effectively in, in, in our building stock, bring those two things together so that you've got a, a, a mix of both worlds really. Um, so so you've, those, those sort of solutions are bubbling away in terms of the, the different types of uh, uh, heat technology that will, will come forward. So hydrogen boilers, hybrids, heat pumps, they're all uh, uh, they're all there. Um, uh, one of the great things that we're uh, doing at the moment, uh, and it's fantastic to be working with government on this, working with Bayes, who, who've helped fund this. We've, we've uh, in April, we'll be launching something called the Hydrogen House at at our uh, integral site up in Gateshead. And what that's doing is really trying to bring bring home the the, the reality of the hydrogen appliances that have been cre created through the government's High for Heat program. High for Heat, which I perhaps haven't talked about, but um, that's a 25 million pound project, which was looking to uh, develop brand new hydrogen cookers, fires, boilers, and hydrogen metering, uh, which would provide that insight and provide that first product type uh, to support this this future vision of a of a hydrogen gas network. So. Companies like Baxi and Wooster Bosch, for instance, they've produced prototypes. It's got these these new boiler types, which are hydrogen ready, a bit like your HDTV, uh, and that's a that's a fantastic step forward. Really, this this concept of hydrogen ready means that the the, the boiler technology is fit for purpose for to use on a gas network. But then, uh, as the gas network converts, it's a really rapid and low cost process to convert the boiler to burn hydrogen instead of natural gas uh, so real um, you know amazing work that's been done there really really terrific stuff and what we're looking to do with the hydrogen house with base support is really demonstrate that just show what these products are capable of try to bring them you know from the the that, that proof of concept into well there, there's a boiler uh, it's burning hydrogen instead of natural gas. It looks very much like your natural gas boiler right now. It, it's you know, the wet system, your radiators remain the same. Uh, it's just a different appliance, uh, but it's doing so in a low carbon manner. And I think that's a fantastic story to, to tell to, to customers, to the public, because ultimately the, the one thing that we always must keep in mind is we've, we have to understand 
the challenges that the customers face you know where we're potentially all of us might be <laughs> i know i'm a gas customer right so uh, uh there's plenty of us out there uh we know that um our systems work really well um we're, we're familiar with how they work uh, but we also know that we need low carbon solutions and if there's a hydrogen boiler that can replace my natural gas boiler i think that's a fantastic step forward for me uh, personally, uh, and I think that's that might well be the same for many other customers as well. Equally, there'll be some who decide that they want to um, move to a heat pump solution. And I think if your property is right, the energy efficiency is right, then you know, fantastic. The, the important thing is here that we we deliver low carbon, reliable heat, uh, and we do that in line with the government's net zero position. Thank you, Keith. Really interesting projects. Um... Uh, uh, and I'm looking forward to the outcome of these pilot projects. I'm sure they'll, they'll be very interesting. So you mentioned government's uh, net zero plans, uh, and, and clearly uh, there has been quite a lot of uh, work done recently and reports published by government around um, the the net zero uh, plans. So uh, what is the um, wider industry engagement that, that you've had and uh, from your understanding, what is industry doing to support or, or, or to jump on board the, the net zero plans from government? Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot happening. Uh, you'd be glad to hear, a uh, great deal happening, which is terrific. Uh, I, I suppose the uh, if, if I if I just roll that back ever so slightly, I, I think uh, there is there is one key area which um, is go, is going to need research, investment, and uh, you know, uh, and that will be research from uh, broad industries as well as uh, uh, academia. Uh, and that's really starting to look at the energy efficiency of our housing stock, which, you know, by and large is 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 pretty awful. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think, in general terms, the the thermal efficiency of our our, our buildings are uh, uh, probably at the lower end of what you'd see across Europe, um, uh, which is not a great position to be in. Uh, it means that you know the, the amount of energy required to deliver a level of comfort is is. Uh, is higher than it, it 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 otherwise would need to be if you had the right energy efficiency measures in. So I think there's a there's a big uh, requirement there to deliver really low cost retrofit solutions that can uh, very much lift and enhance the energy efficiency of of, of our building stock. Uh, I think irrespective of which uh, uh, heat solution uh, uh, customers may adopt. That has to be first and foremost to make sure that they're using the, the least amount of energy necessary to maintain that level of comfort. And certainly if you look across the housing stock of the UK, there are, there are some, you know, there, there are customers out there, those in vulnerable situations who are not living in, in uh, with, with levels of comfort simply because they can't afford to deliver that amount of heat into their buildings into their building um, uh, and, and that's that's important because it has knock-on health issues so I think tackling that energy efficiency challenge is is something that we you know we, we need our uh, outstanding academic institutes to really produce some some great solutions for us there uh, uh, we need an industry to to wrap their arms around that and, and find ways of being able to deliver that 
um, be that new solutions for underfloor heating, for instance, which you know is is a is a, a much more effective way of delivering heat into a home rather than a, a radiator. As I, I'm not an expert, but that's as I understand it. Uh, to uh, improving the efficiency of the fabric of the building, it's a really important area. Uh, and I know the likes of um, uh, Newcastle University, for instance, uh, working with the Active Building Centre, um, which is a project really looking at all of this. They have some great ideas about how to deliver it. And I think that's that's part of the solution here, uh, uh, as well as the sorts of uh, work that certainly the gas industry is doing and, and wider heat industry are doing to provide low carbon technologies. So in terms of, um, so I guess that sets the foundation of uh, this is what we need to do on in terms of efficiency. Um, then, then we start to look at what is industry doing to, to accelerate this move towards a decarbonized future. And certainly on the gas industry side, there's, there's an awful lot of projects happening. Uh, so I've already mentioned that we've got our H21 program, driving that, uh, that understanding the safety case requirements for uh, zero carbon heat, delivering that hydrogen network and delivering in a way that means we just repurpose what we've already got, which keeps the cost down. Uh, it also would actually accelerate the program and make it much simpler to, to carry out that work. Uh, so, so you know, that, that project's very, very exciting. Uh, really looking forward to hearing about the phase one results, which will be uh, Q1 this year, uh, which has been looking at how, you know, what, what, what is the differences between natural gas and hydrogen, because they, they are different family of gases, so they behave differently. So we'll start to understand that. And, and then once you understand the differences in behavior, then what does that mean for our, our buried assets, our pipes and our valves and various other fixtures and fittings? So, so that piece of work, as I say, will be um, launching its phase one report Q1 this year, whilst phase two is already up and running. And that's really starting to understand, using all of the information from phase one, how do we then start to move away from the, can we do this question, which is really what phase one was about, to how, how do we deliver it? How do we, how do we move that forward? What changes to our procedures might we need? Uh, what, what other things might we need to tweak on our, on our network? Uh, to deliver hydrogen instead of natural gas. So that's, that's in a nutshell, a little bit about what H21 is doing. And linked to that, as I said previously, we've got the hydrogen house to demonstrate these new hydrogen appliances, which is fantastic. Uh, Hydroploy uh, I've covered, which is talking about the blended solution. And we you know, look forward, as I say, to Cadent doing phase three of that uh, 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 in the next year or so. So, from an NGN perspective, we've got all of that happening, but we then look at what our colleagues in Scotia Gas Networks are doing, and they've got their East Fife project uh, through their H100 program, which is looking at uh, uh, a, a real world customer live trial. So this is putting a new gas network in to a, a few 200 or so uh, uh, existing gas customers and then converting their appliances to hydrogen and running it for the first time. So that's a live customer trial. Uh, and equally, what we see on our side is as we finish our phase two work uh, on the H21 program, we will then look to replicate some of that, uh, that, that live customer engagement, that live customer trial, uh, in order to answer further questions because those fundamental differences there, as I've described it, is the H100 project is putting a new gas network in. Uh, uh, so so what, what you learn from the gas network side is I can move the gas through the pipes, I can get it into the customer's premise, but there's an awful lot there learning about 
the customer acceptance side, which is so important. Uh, learning about how the, the appliances perform in that real world setting. Whereas when we carry out that live customer trial, it'll be on existing gas networks. So what we're then doing is saying, and this is how you take some of that learning from the H100 work and then drive this further forward to say, this is how we do it in, in, in real life. This is how we convert UK gas networks. These are the processes that are involved. So those two things are, are you know, quite closely aligned, I suppose, in terms of sharing learning. In all of the projects, there's an awful lot of collaboration happening. Uh, and that's really talking into the domestic sector. Then you come up a, a level, uh, quite a significant level, and you start thinking about impacts on big industry. And what we see in across in the Northwest is uh, a project called HiNet. And what that's looking at is how do you decarbonize these big, incredibly uh, energy intensive industries uh, which are producing you know the you know the various components that we we just accept as part of our everyday life you know be it uh, plastics be it um, you know widgets whatever chemicals uh, so how do you decarbonize that because these these industries are using incredible amounts of of, of energy um, well the answer might well be, that what we can do is for some of the plants over, the, over in the Northwest, which is already producing hydrogen, ramp that up and use that hydrogen product to decarbonize those industries that are currently burning natural gas. You can link that into a carbon capture utilization and storage scheme, uh, link it into a little bit of transport, link it into a little bit of domestic as well, and really start to pull all of those things together. And what that speaks of is a uh, how our, our major industrial clusters, like you see in the Northwest, like you see at uh, Teesside and down in the Humber, uh, how those big industrial clusters could be part of the decarbonization solution, actually, how they can help to produce the product needed, not only to decarbonize their operation, but also help to decarbonize the domestic setting as well. So really important that all of this has connectivity, that the, the, the learning is shared and so forth. Uh, Coming up uh, from the distribution side of things, the distribution gas networks, the, we then look at what our, our colleagues in National Grid are doing and uh, what they have is a, is a programme, High NTS. Uh, you'll, you'll notice the theme here, High tends to, uh, uh, HY is, is, is apparent in a lot of project naming. We perhaps need to be a little more original. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, but, but High NTS, uh, what that's looking at is what are the, what are the impacts of conveying hydrogen in the national transmission system? And what that's looking at are the, the, the material impacts, the changes in uh, uh, pipeline material that hydrogen could cause and is known to cause uh, at the sort of pressures that they operate at. So there's an awful lot of research going on uh, with, with our national colleagues. In fact, uh, what they're now doing through their uh, FutureNet project is working with the NGN H21 program to, to help us develop uh, an entire miniature microgrid on site. So uh, FutureGrid is developing the high pressure system uh, at the Spade Adams site over in Cumbria, where we're, we're carrying out this work. And then the H21 team are de developing the distribution network that will uh, interface to that. So what we have on site, uh, once all of that is complete, is a mimic, uh, albeit a very tiny mimic, of, of everything that we would uh, uh, expect to see in our in our entire gas network in the UK. Uh, and that's really important as we start to understand how we change our 
policies, our procedures and our standards and so forth. Now, I've spoken about a few physical projects there, which are really important to try and drive things forward. Uh, but there's also uh, work required, uh, and I touched on it just uh, just a moment ago, to look at what changes do we need, need to make to our standards? Uh, you know, currently there's around about uh, 72, I think, there are about uh, standards in the UK that's, which are owned, managed by the Institution of Gas Engineers and Managers, uh, which all of the UK industry use in order to manage the gas network of the UK and, and manage it in a way which you know, makes it in many respects the envy of Europe, the envy of the rest of the world in terms of its safety record and its ability to withstand you know, everything our customers can throw at it and the weather can throw at it and so forth. So those standards are really important and the bedrock of everything that we do. So through through RGM, uh, 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 we, we have the hydrogen committee, which, uh, which I chair, and we're starting to work through those standards and, and pulling all of that science and all of the research and the engineering and practicality of the projects that I've just spoken about, pulling all of that learning back into the, the, the standards to try and understand where the changes might be needed to each of those documents uh, and do so in, that, in, in a really rapid turnaround. So at the moment, there's a piece of work, high technical it's called, again, there's that HY, uh, which is looking to address uh, the most uh, important standards that, that industry uh, use uh, on a day-by-day -day basis. And we hope to close those out, some in March and some in September this year, as the first draft of uh, uh, almost a, a hydrogen section within these 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 bigger documents and that's a really important step for the UK because until you get those standards you're not really in a position to have a safety case unless you've got something that you can play back to in terms of that standard position so there's an awful lot happening uh, and as I say the you know it, you've just got to look at the likes of the high for heat program and, and now the high house this is not in isolation with with UK government. So we are working really closely with, with government, with Base Heat team, to really understand where their concerns are, where their challenges are, where they have questions. We're trying to answer those questions as well as the challenges that we have in our industry to bring together a holistic package of work uh, and bring those answers forward from that work in, in a really rapid manner. Because as I, you know, as I said in the opening piece, you know, net zero, 2050 net zero is like, you know, it is next week. Uh, uh, we really, really do need uh, to find some quick answers so that we can move to the live trials with confidence um, yeah. and start to meet some of the challenges that the government have laid down in their, uh, their, their white paper back yeah. in, uh, in November, where they talk about things like a, a hydrogen town by 2030 with, you know, thousands of connections. So uh, as we obviously um, touched on, uh, there is quite a lot going on. And um, as we achieve some of these challenges and hopefully, um, you know, that will present opportunities um, in terms of skills, growth and jobs. Um, what are the opportunities in your sector, um, do you think, um, in, in, in light of what we just uh, discussed? Sure. Uh I, you know, I've, I've been in the industry now, um, well, a, a, a few decades, uh, I'll not say how many. <laughs> uh, I, I, I genuinely, I can't remember a more exciting time to be 
one to be part of the energy industry sector more generally uh but but two to be part of the the gas industry there's so much exciting work being undertaken uh it's it really is a if it, it feels like that we're with the, the the beginning of a a new a new dawn i suppose with something too cheesy about how we deliver energy in a low carbon manner uh so the opportunities for uh, particularly for young people you know the, the the primary school children that are you know uh you know in year six perhaps wondering about uh well hopefully they're starting to wonder about what they like to do uh, uh you know in the future uh those that maybe have a an interest in certainly in, in technical types of uh uh education you know your maths your physics sciences you know that kind of thing uh for all of those children there are huge opportunities uh, uh I, I can certainly see coming uh down the pipeline pardon the pun uh, we've just got to look at that heat challenge as i mentioned uh 20 000 homes every week for 20 years um so so all those primary children that are in school now uh what well, we're in 2021 by the time they get to school leverage are really at the point where you know they maybe go on to do uh, A levels, then maybe go on to do uh, uh, a technical qualification, technical degree, uh, and we need those those uh, technical those technicians. We need those engineers of the future to be able to deliver such a, an incredibly ambitious heat transition program. Uh, equally, some children may decide that they want to uh, the, the you know A levels not for them. You know, I was one of those children. A levels definitely weren't for me at the time, uh, uh, and the opportunities for green apprenticeships to get involved in the energy industry at that early age uh, to really learn uh, and be part of this this revolution in how we deliver energy, I think, is an incredible position to be in. Uh, it's really exciting, and if we think of where the UK is. We've, you know, from a certainly from a gas industry perspective, we've led the way in terms of uh, thinking around hydrogen, uh, I mean, Europar uh, uh, now investing in that, and there's some fantastic things happening there. But you know, from the get-go, uh, uh, UK was on the front foot with that. I, I think the, the opportunity here for the UK is to maintain that frontier position. Uh, we've seen the great work that's happening on in the wind sector, uh, and and all of the skills that uh, is uh, being spun out from that. And and you know, a lot of this has cut over so if you if you have skills in the offshore industry and you've worked in oil and gas then clearly you have skills that are equally good for uh, for the offshore industry equally you have skills that are good for gas industry power sector and so forth so i think that's one of the key areas here that as we move towards a decarbonized solution and, and again i'm talking slightly more agnostically i'm not thinking just about gas here but what happens uh, uh, for electricity too then what we see are, from a, a, a skills-based perspective, really solid, good career options, irrespective of whether you want to go down the, the academic route, a levels degree and so forth, or whether you want to go down the more uh, uh, hands-on route through apprenticeships and so on. Some really credible, good quality jobs uh, are, 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 are there to be had, I guess, uh, is 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 the best way of describing that. Given the scale of change that's needed, and this is equally true if you think about what's happening on transport and so on. Uh, then we we look at the sort of technologies that are going to be needed and the things that are coming along. 
we've seen uh, uh, recently announcements from companies like ITM Power, who are a, a UK-based electrolyzer manufacturer. Uh, you know, great technology, uh, electricity in one end, uh, hydrogen out the other. Uh, so, so really good to see those sort of technologies grow and 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 be developed here in the UK. They've just opened their gigafactory in, in Sheffield, right? So what, what does that tell us about the, the capability of UK manufacturing, the capability that we have in the UK? And if we maintain that frontier position, that can only get better. We see the same for uh, the transport sector with gigafactories for batteries. Uh, you know, there's a, a plant not far from where I am actually, uh, uh, hoping to um, hoping to be launched uh, up in up in the Blythe area. So we're seeing all these different opportunities coming along. We 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 know already what offshore looks like, and that's only going to set to grow bigger and bigger and bigger, which is fantastic. Um, so I, I see opportunities for manufacturing and new technologies and getting in there first and really growing that sector. Uh, I see opportunities for skills, and of course, if you've got those skills, those can be exported abroad as well. Uh, so you know, I, I think it it could be with the right you know with the right policy, with the right uh, uh, mechanisms in place. It could be the start of something very special, I think, in the UK. Yeah, Keith, uh, I agree. Uh, really exciting time. Um, what, what are the so um, in terms of the uh, links between what you're doing and other sectors? Or what are the sort of uh, decarbonisation links, let's say, to the transport sector, for example? Sure. Um, I suppose if we reflect how transport is is uh, undertaken at the moment how, how's that energy uh, provided at the moment then transport's dominated by oil uh, currently uh, for you know cars buses trains you name it sh shipping aircraft it's all oil based um and and that oil is uh moved some by pipeline uh to to some of the major facilities uh but but equally is through the use of uh tankered vehicles moving uh, large amounts of product around. Um, there are some in the UK, uh, some uh, compressed natural gas refueling for uh, heavy goods vehicles. But, you know, by comparison to the oil uh, uh, side of things, it, it, it's pretty tiny. So where, where might the opportunities come? Well, what we know is, uh, uh, and it's equally true for heat, there's not a do nothing option here. Um, so, so we, we know we have to change. Uh, we've seen an awful lot in the media about uh, electric vehicles, cars, uh, and that's fine. Uh, uh, still not entirely wedded to sitting for half an hour to charge my car up on a forecourt before I do another few hundred miles, but that's, I'm sure that will improve. Um, uh, but, but certainly uh, we need a range of solutions for transport. Now, say we've got EVs, um, uh, there are also hydrogen fuel cell cars as well. We've, our business has two. Uh, they're terrific. Um, uh, we have a Toyota, uh, is it Toyota Mirai and a Hyundai Nexo. Uh, and and uh, I, I guess the reason I like those is that's three minutes to fill up. So it's a very similar process to, to using a, a petrol or diesel vehicle now, but you get the same sort of range. Uh, so so that's, that's a really positive thing. Uh, you know, I accept that. You know, uh, there are many who just feel that batteries in cars are the way forward, and that's that's absolutely fine. We then come up to the different um, sizes of vehicles, and and that's where 
always going for a battery solution may not actually start to deliver what we need. So if you think of a something like a refuge truck, 18-ton vehicle, uh, that, that vehicle has huge power requirements. Um, it's not just about the engine moving the vehicle down the street uh, at, at, you know, five miles an hour or whatever. It's also about all the power systems and the, and the hydraulics to to compress the, 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 the refuse that's put in the vehicle. So, so these things are extremely power hungry. Um, a vehicle like that may well struggle to, to have, uh, uh, to be fully electrified using a battery. Uh, equally fire trucks, ambulances, different types of duty cycles. So vehicles that are, you know, they make money when the wheels are spinning. Um, th those sorts of vehicles may well see hydrogen as a, as a way forward for, for their heat. So you put hydrogen in as that's effectively your battery. And then you have something called a fuel cell that takes the hydrogen, converts that to electricity and you, you, the, the vehicle powers itself. So in, in effect, it's still an electric vehicle. It's just not using a big chemical lump uh, to, to absorb uh, electrons from the power grid. It's taking hydrogen instead. And, and that's important. So we've got these, this different option coming, coming forward. So we look at, well, would that work for HGVs? Yes, it would. Would that work for um, the, the you know, heavier vehicles I, I mentioned? Yes, it would. Uh, then you start to look at uh, uh, the, the avenues to explore the rail fleet. Well, what does that mean? Um, well, if it's a high-speed train, uh, you'll just electrify that because the the costs of electrification versus the speed of the train, it just makes absolute sense to do it. So really where what you're looking at is targeting the, the, the slower fleet, the 60-mile-an-hour trains that maybe have pretty reasonable mileage to them, uh, you know, pretty reasonable range where maybe a battery is not the right solution for those. And again, hydrogen could come in there to uh, to provide that as a as a, a decarbonized way forward for rail, which is which is fantastic. And we see that with the likes of the uh, the, the Breeze train, uh, which is a, 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 a train that's been repurposed to run on hydrogen. Uh, so again, that's happened in the UK. It's a great product. Uh, I look forward to seeing it on the tracks. Uh, I'd like to say shortly. It'd be great to see when it happens. Uh, so, so it's clearly for real. There's a there's a route through there, uh, and there's a lot of talk about um, hydrogen for use in air, aviation, and indeed in some form for for shipping as well. So, what that means, I suppose, is how do we how how do you deliver that amount of energy? It's you know, as I said before, oil's tankers around a lot. Um, uh, we tend not to do that too much with with uh, natural gas. It tends to be pipeline driven, and if we've got a hydrogen network that's pushing hydrogen around, there's a clear opportunity to deliver that product straight to you know the rail freight uh, uh, depots, the bus depots uh, of the UK, and that would happen quite readily. Uh, it would also happen to be really very very resilient uh, because of the nature of the system. So so we're starting to see these tie-ins with transport. Uh, which is a really exciting uh, future development, for, certainly for the gas sector, because it's we've had a little bit of that, as I say, with CNG, but not not to perhaps the potential that we can see uh, uh, for for a future hydrogen network. Then we see what's happening with electricity. So you know, why is that important? Well, electricity are, are you know marching away there with uh, renewables, more and more wind generation coming on stream, which is absolutely. Uh, it's both fantastic but essential uh, to decarbonize not just the power system but but also uh, the, the gas grid as well. And why that's important is 
in order to enable more renewables onto the system, the electricity system needs flexibility. It needs to be able to uh, respond to demand when the demand is up, when the demand drops off and so forth. And equally, it has on the other side, the, the intermittency challenge around uh, renewables where the sun doesn't shine or a cloud comes over or the wind stops blowing, all those sorts of things. So having that flexibility is important. And that's why connecting the gas grid, which has been converted to hydrogen, uh, to the electricity grid through something like an electrolyzer uh, could be really insightful, uh, could really drive better flex positions, drive down cost, uh, and again, improve and enhance the resilience of both of those uh, energy systems. So I think it's that, it's that whole systems approach and thinking as we start to evolve our energy networks away from the solid approach we've had for decades, which is gas does its thing, electricity does its thing. What do you see in terms of as we progress towards this decarbonization and net zero journey? What are the next steps uh, for you uh, in terms of to accelerate this mm. transition? I, I, I think you touched on a key word there, accelerate. Uh, uh, the, the, there is a real need to move more quickly uh say we, we we are slowly but surely running out of time uh so i think pace pace of change is important really starting to make those insights make those inroads into overcoming whatever technical challenges there may be uh and as a, as you know through the projects that we have running collectively as an industry i think we're doing that uh we probably need to ramp that up further um, I think there's an impatience within the industry now to, to get cracking and, and really start to make some big differences there uh, to, to support that government ambition. Uh, so I think from a gas perspective, next steps are very much to move uh, 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 and move quickly to blending becoming business as usual. Uh, that, that gives us a quick, a quick win uh, from a national perspective, you know, take 6% out of the, uh, the carbon footprint of gas uh, very quickly if we were to do that. Uh, and again, that creates new opportunity. I think on the 100% heat, 100% uh, hydrogen for heat uh, uh, program, again, moving that much more quickly towards live trials, really getting that customer engagement, you know, bring the customer with us with this, I think is, is essential. You know, customers won't accept technology just being rammed down their throat. Uh, they, 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 they want to say they want they want to feel like they're part of the um, part of the solution. Uh, so I think that's the next step is really getting those those customer trials up and running, get that feedback from from the customer base, really start to understand uh, some of the wider, softer issues I suppose to overcome, drive that energy efficiency, which I mentioned. That's absolutely essential, uh, and get us into a position really that from 2025 we've had some live trials. We've started to understand the logistics of converting networks, the, the concerns that customers might have, what they like, what they don't like. Um, and that's all about engagement as much as the technical side of things. Uh, really get all of those things in place. And then from 25 through to 30, we start to think about, well, how do we meet that, that um, government challenge of the, the hydrogen town? What, what would be required to deliver that? Think about the logistics, the supply chain, how do we get, you know, 30,000, 40,000, whatever it is, hydrogen boilers, cookers, fires, metering systems produced in that sort of time scale. What does that look like? Uh, so it's a real collective effort, I think, here on in, uh, not just from the transporter side of things, but from the supply chain, from the skills sector, 
getting people trained up, getting the competencies in place that, so that we have hydrogen engineers instead of natural gas engineers. All those things need to be put in place here through to 2030, because I really think that as we get to 2030, we need as a country to be in a position where decarbonisation of the gas grid is, is then on track. We are then moving to make that a, a reality, a wide-scale wide transition from natural gas to hydrogen over the 2030s through the 2040s and try and get to a position really by the early 2040s where the, the vast majority of the gas network in the UK is cut across to hydrogen. Consumers have that choice as to whether to go down a hydrogen route or a heat pump route uh, and, and you know, really, I, I suppose in doing so, we get to a point where we've not just met the net zero challenge but we've we've tried to smash the net zero challenge we've brought it in earlier than than the the, the current target of 2050 and i yeah, think that's right. really important to have that that ambition to really try and go for it and, and make that difference uh, i'm going to struggle to find a better ending than this smashing the net zero challenge uh, <laughs> <laughs> is the ambition i think you put it really nicely and i think uh, uh Absolutely, it's a really exciting time and, and, and lots of interesting projects, some of which that you mentioned through the talk and, and really looking forward to uh, this uh, really uh, interesting developments that are happening at the moment. So um, brilliant. Thank you very much, Keith, for your time. It's been great talking to you. Uh, and, and I think uh, smashing the net zero challenge is what I'll probably use to, to end this bring bring an end to this yep. episode uh, thank you so much uh, Keith. uh and uh, um i hope this was uh interesting and enjoyable to our listeners with this i bring this episode to an end thank you very much keith thank you and with that we've reached the end of the episode Thank you very much to everyone for listening. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, you can find information about everything that has been discussed uh, in the links included in this podcast description. And you can also find them on the TWI Innovation Network website. Thank you again for listening. If you have any feedback, please leave it in the, in the comments and uh, descriptions wherever you're finding this podcast, whether you're on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, it's always great to have your feedback. You can even reach out to us on LinkedIn via the TWI Innovation Network. Um, we really love to hear from you. It helps us make better podcasts for the future going forward. Our next episode is with Chem and the Sabanshi University. We hope you can join us. And as ever, thank you very much for listening.